So if you open up to Revelation chapter 2, we'll go to the Lord in prayer one more time that he anoints the, me for the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, uh, there's so much faulty wisdom of man that is being um, proclaimed. And, uh, and I pray, Lord, that we would be so grounded in your word, your truth, that we would be able to refute that which contradicts your word. And so I pray, Lord, that the people that are here today, they came to hear the word of God proclaimed. They didn't come here to, to hear the, the uh, deceitful wisdom of man. The people that came here, they're, they're sick and tired of fake news, whether it be in the political or the spiritual realm or the moral realm, whatever it may be. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you would anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth, that you would cancel the man. I'm a fallible man, but you've called me and other preachers to proclaim your infallible word. So cancel the man and anoint me to, to proclaim your truth. And uh, I pray I would not lead anyone astray. And I pray you'd open hearts and minds to receive your truth and empower us to apply it to our lives. May we be in love with your son, Jesus, and not be in love with the things of this world. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So, yeah. Oh, that's right. We have a very important person, a VIP, uh, Gracie's birthday. And so we're going to sing happy birthday. She said she would lead the singing. And, um, and uh, we're going to sing happy birthday to Gracie. And then there's like chocolate cake, birthday cake after... And, um, and I only need like half of it. So the other half, you know, take as much as you want. So somebody had their hand up. Okay. It's individual cupcakes. Okay. But they're chocolate, right? Some of them are. Okay. Well, okay. Well, good deal. Well, um, and so, uh, let's see. Chris, why don't you lead us in happy birthday so I don't start us off on a wrong note. <laughs> Be birthday. Okay, so Revelation chapter 2. Now we're talking about some of the problems with the Word of Faith movement, that it's actually a blending of the mind science cults, like Christian Science and Unity School of Christianity, a blending of the mind science cults with biblical Christianity. And since the mind science cults were really Hinduism masqueraded in biblical terminology, it wasn't really... The mind science cults were not really a blending of Hinduism and Christianity. It's just Hinduism with Bible verses taken out of context. Now, um, what E.W. Kenyon out of Seattle did in the early 1900s, he tried to blend the mind science cults, which is pretty much Hindu-type thought. He tried to blend them, kind of the force be with you, with biblical Christianity and so the health and wealth heresy 
is actually uh, a hybrid. It's uh, Eastern Hindu type thought blended in uh, with uh, biblical Christianity. Always remember that faith in the Bible means placing our trust, our faith in Jesus and in his will. It does not mean putting faith in our own faith and putting faith in our own positive confession. It does not mean that we are creators, we create our own reality. No, we live in the reality God created. And we've messed that reality up. It's a fallen world. Okay? And um, so some of the problems, the anti-intellectualism and hyper-emotionalism where they, they want religious experience and they could care less um, about rational thought and, and being grounded in God's truth. Okay? Um, again, we want to interpret the Bible Christocentrically. Look for Jesus. Don't look for rules and regulations and technicalities. Okay? That can give you the, the laws in the Bible can give you a lot of help, but in the end, the spirit of the law, love God with everything you got, love your neighbor as yourself. Look for Christ in the Bible. Okay? And uh, not legalistically and definitely not selfishly. There's a lot of people who you just, you know, God wants me to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. So they dedicate their lives to studying God's word, pulling verses out of context to try to build their own kingdom. That's not biblical Christianity. Okay? And um, so there's that anti-intellectualism and hyper-emotionalism. They confuse spiritual prosperity with financial prosperity. God tells us throughout his word that if you live... If you love God's word and you obey God's word and you walk with the Lord, God will make you prosperous. But we got to go with God's definition of prosperous, not man's. John the Baptist was the most prosperous guy who ever lived until that point, according to Jesus. Yet he died without a dime in his bank account. In fact, I don't even think he had a bank account. I doubt if... Uh, uh, Paul had a bank account. Okay? And um, so never confuse spiritual prosperity with financial prosperity. By the way, if you're out there and you make really good money, I mean, you're rolling in the box, this, this message does not condemn you. Okay? Now, now, by the way, wealthy people are less likely to see their need for the Lord because... You know, you get sick, you write a check. Some people, they get sick, all they can do is pray. You know, and that's why the poor were so open to the gospel. Uh, but God has chosen to financially prosper many believers. Okay? Now, the more you have, whatever it is, whether it's talent or treasure or time, the more accountable you are to God. So... I believe if God, if it's God's will that you be wealthy, that it's also God's will to give you the gift of giving. And believe me, I'm, I'm telling you, I have seen some poor people who will not give anybody a dime when they can afford to give somebody a dime. And I've seen some wealthy people that when you do the math, they're given 30 to 40% of their income. Not just to the church, but to help other people in times of need and I could mention names but I'm not gonna 
I don't want to take the rewards away from them. And, um, you know, uh, I, I see these people. I see some people that, you know, they finance foreign missions work. And, and I think, Lord, why did you prosper them financially and not me? And then I realize how giving they are. And I say, okay, that's, that's a pretty good reason right there. And, um, but whatever the case, um, never confuse spiritual prosperity with financial prosperity. Corey Ten Boom and her sister and her family were some of the godliest Christians of their generation. And they were not only broke, they were sick and they were tortured in concentration camps for standing up and protecting the lives of innocent Jews. That's prosperity in the eyes of God. Okay? And, um, um, okay, now, we mentioned last week praying in Jesus' name. Praying in Jesus' name just means praying in accordance with Jesus' will. We looked at John 5, 43 and 6, 38. Jesus said, I came from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He also said, I came not in my own name, but in the name of the one who sent me. Um, praying in Jesus' name is not an abracadabra magic formula. Praying in Jesus' name means you're praying in accordance with Jesus' will. And if you pray in accordance with his will, you have his authority. It's like in the days of checks. I still write checks. Um, I'll be the last one to, to write checks, but... Um, in the old days, if John wanted, if I wanted John to cash my check, I would sign the back of my check, and then I'd give him uh, a picture ID of me, like my driver's license. He'd go to his bank, he'd sign underneath my name, and they trust John because he goes to that bank. They see my signature and my driver's license, and they would cash cash my check for him. Why? Because he went in my name. He went with my authority. Okay? And so, so keep that in mind. Yes, God will give you anything you pray for in Jesus' name. But in Jesus' name does not equal abracadabra or open sesame. Okay? It's not a secret formula. You know, the health and wealthers think they've got these secret formulas in the Bible where they can command God and he has to obey. That's not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. Okay? And um, so keep in mind, you know, God will answer any prayer you pray in Jesus' name, but that means you pray to prayer in accordance with his will. Now, if you have the amount of spiritual discernment that I have, you very rarely know when you're praying in Jesus' will. Uh, I mean, when God wants, says he wants the gospel to be preached to all nations, then I know, yeah, in Jesus' name, Lord, send out workers into the harvest to preach the gospel to all mankind. Well, we know that's in accordance with the Lord's will. But they're praying for my Uncle Manuel, who died at the age of 95. I didn't know if it was God's will for him to live longer or die. I didn't want him to suffer real long, but I prayed for God to heal him. But I said, whatever your will is, though, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Health and welters will act like that's a prayer that shows a lack of faith. Yeah, that's a prayer that shows a lack of faith in your faith. But we're not supposed to have faith in our faith. We're supposed to have faith in the Lord. Okay? And he works everything for our good. There's some things he can't work for our good. It would just blow up in our faces. And, um, uh, and uh, now wealthy, healthy... 
Christians uh, are not necessarily more sanctified or holier than poor, sickly ones. Okay? So wealthy, healthy Christians are not necessarily more holy than poor, sickly ones. Um, you know, uh, you can, if you're healthy and then you see a, a Christian lady in a wheelchair, that doesn't mean that because that lady's in that wheelchair, she must have a lack of faith or unconfessed sin? No. Like, I remember when, when Stella's health was, was failing her. And she continued. She stayed true to Jesus. She was a prayer warrior. She proved that she would still worship Jesus even if her health failed her and even if she didn't have a lot of money. So far, I've only proven that I can worship Jesus when I'm, in a general sense, pretty healthy. And all my bills are paid for. You know, you outlaw Christianity and uh, all of a sudden I can't figure out how to pay the bills and me and the missus got to be homeless or something. I mean, and then our faith is going to be tested. And uh, But just because certain Christians are healthy and wealthy, that doesn't make them more sanctified or holier than poor sickly ones. So look at Revelation chapter 2 verse 9. This is when Jesus has this message. Seven messages for the seven churches um, of Asia Minor. And in uh, starting at verse 8, he gives a message to the angel. That's the messenger of the church in Smyrna. It could be an angelic being or a human messenger. The word angelos just means messenger. And, um, and so he says in verses 8 and 9, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. The first and the last is a title of God. And God the Father was never dead and then had to come back to life. God the Holy Spirit was never dead. So that's Jesus who's talking. Jesus is claiming to be God. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. Then he goes further from there. But we'll stop there for our purpose. I know your works, tribulation and poverty but you are rich that, let me tell you I have no idea what that means unless what he's saying is that they were physically and financially poor but spiritually rich okay let me repeat that they were physically and financially poor yet they were spiritually rich so your financial bank account does not always correlate with your spiritual bank account. By the way, with the health, wealth, and prosperity movement, it only takes one exception to refute their rule. Because what they're teaching is, if you are healthy, if you are obedient to the Lord, and you're trusting in the Lord, and you have no lack of faith, no one confess sin, you will be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. By the way, they have a hard time explaining physical death. Because I don't know how you could be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous and die. So we're still part of this cursed creation. And, um, um, but whatever the case, so the, Smyrna, the Church of Smyrna, they were financially poor but spiritually rich. Look at the church of Laodicea, Revelation 3. 
the lukewarm church, the church of Laodicea. In verse 17, Jesus says to them, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So this church is the exact opposite. They had physical and financial wealth. They, had, they didn't think they needed anything. They thought, they no, we, we could just take care of ourselves. We're so wealthy. They were financially wealthy, but spiritually they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus uses some strong language basically saying that if this church doesn't repent, he's going to vomit them out of his mouth. Okay? So, um, so whatever the case, again... Your financial bank account does not always correlate. It's not always a good indication of uh, your spiritual bank account. Okay? You can be spiritually rich and, um, and financially poor. Okay? Uh, so keep that in mind. Do not. If you pray for somebody in a wheelchair and they don't get out of the wheelchair and walk away, do not blame them. These are the guys have done that on national TV. Elderly lady can't get out of a wheelchair, so they blame her. It's, it's like, man, what, what Bible are you reading? Okay? And um, by the way, I told some foreign missionary once, we were helping supporting him and sending him a lot of my old audio cassettes, and they would play them in the refugee camps in African countries by uh, manually play them and stuff. But I wanted to make sure he wasn't into the health and wealth. He was shocked. He said, I, I think that's something that you'd only, only in America you could believe because the people are so poor. Uh, sad thing is, there's a few uh, false preachers out there preaching that kind of false gospel, even in Africa. We don't have time to look at it, but in James chapter 5, 1 through 6, and James chapter 2, 1 through 9, you do not show partiality to wealthy people, you know? I mean, it's, it's just like, um, um, you know, if, if somebody came in and visited our church and we knew the guy was wealthy or politically powerful, that doesn't mean say, hey, here, have the best seat and, and uh, treat him any, any more special than we treat anybody else, okay? Um... Uh, so this idea that, you know, I mean, some of the health and wealth preachers, they brag about, you know, having $6 million homes and, and 12 cars and a private jet, and they think that shows how pleasing they are to God. You know, I mean, Bill Gates, his wealth is not an indication of him being pleasing to God. And uh, by, by the way, the apostles suffered from this kind of thinking. So when Jesus said that it's as hard for a rich man to, to get to heaven as it is for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle, the apostles said, well, then who can be saved? Because they're freaking, a rich man's holier than a poor man. You know, when Jesus said, look, with man, this is impossible, but all things are possible with God. So it's impossible, poor or rich, to save ourselves. But the idea that rich people or healthy people are holier than, uh, than impoverished people uh, ill people is just not true. 
I mentioned already John the Baptist and Paul both died broke. Um, Paul had an illness. Something was tormenting him. Some would say it was false teachers, but he called it a thorn in the flesh. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul just got done saying, man, I've had visions nobody else who's currently on this planet has had, man. You know, I was taken up, I don't know if it was in body or in spirit, to the third heaven, to the throne room of God. Uh, but then he was saying, but God didn't want me to boast. So he also allowed me to have a thorn in the flesh. So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 12, 7 to 11, and lest I should be exalted above measure... By the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. God wants to humble us. Whether you're wealthy or poor, God wants you humble. Whether you have visions from God or not, God wants you humble. And so he gave Paul this, uh, this uh, messenger of Satan a thorn in his flesh could be a sickness, could be false teachers that constantly were bothering him. According to Health and Wellness, you could just name it and claim it. You know, just name it and claim, be gone to those false teachers. Whenever, whenever preachers who refuted these guys died, they'd always say that, you know, God took them home because they were messing with God's anointed. Uh... Verse 8, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So here, the Apostle Paul is striking out in his, in, in his particular prayer. Three times God said no. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Okay? So, he, he's basically saying there, um, you know, God's saying, look, all you need is my grace. I gave you my saving grace and then living grace to be all that I called you to be. And the weaker you are, the stronger. You know, is my, the more my strength is manifest in your life. Okay? And um, um, and so Paul said, you know, I would rather boast in my sicknesses uh, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and sicknesses, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of the apostle uh, were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. God was answering his prayers, and he was performing miracles. This guy's in God's will, yet he's got infirmities. And God's saying no to his prayers on that. But he would boast in his sufferings. 
I don't see the health, wealth, and prosperity guys boasting in their sufferings. Okay? We've got to see things through the eyes of God. Now, we don't have time to turn there, but Paul even said that he came to the Galatians with a tremendous amount of sickness. Well, on his first missionary journey, before he went to Galatia, uh, they beat him up pretty bad. They stoned him and left him for dead. And it sounds like he might have had problems with his eyes. Okay? And, um, and they didn't look down on him for that. And he appreciated that. Then when you look at passages like 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20 through, uh, 23, 2 Timothy 4, 20, Philippians 3, 25 to 27, you'll see Paul talking about other godly brothers who were sick. You know, pray for this guy, help this guy. And, you know, if these guys were the godly men that Paul was saying they were, they wouldn't be sick if the health, wealth, and prosperity heresy uh, were true. In fact, Paul even told Timothy, because of your stomach ailment, drink a little bit of wine with your food, not just water. But back then, the water was so polluted, okay, he drank a little bit of wine with it just to kill the germs and give it some flavor, but to kill those germs so it doesn't kill you. Paul's saying, Timothy, your stomach is messed up. You know? And... Um, I can relate to that. It's probably the only thing I got in common with Timothy is I got stomach issues. And, um, but Paul's saying, hey, you know, he probably got the advice from Luke, who was a physician, but he said, hey, take a little bit of wine with your food and it will help with the, with the digestion there. And um, why not just say, hey, look, you, what do you got, unconfessed sin, Timothy? Lack of faith? Just name it and claim it. That stomach pain will be gone. Um, so th that would be like us saying today, hey, if you're really sick, pray about it. And if you're still sick, take some medicine or go see your doctor, okay? And uh, uh, the man born blind, look at John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And, and just to show you, the apostles... As I said earlier, the apostles had this kind of thinking. Jesus had a risk. So don't give up. If you've got friends that are health and welters, don't give up on them. But just preach the true Jesus and the true gospel to them, and maybe they'll come around. Okay? John 9, 1 to 3. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, that means teacher. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So, so, so they're, they're, they figured if the guy's born blind, either he sinned while he was in his mother's womb, because they didn't believe in reincarnation, or maybe his parents sinned, and he's getting punished for his parents' sin. So the guy's born blind, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Okay? But the point we're focusing on here is just because you're sick doesn't mean you sinned and brought it on yourself. Okay? Now, if you like smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and downing 
two six packs of beer every night, okay, uh, there's a good chance that this, a lot of the sicknesses, um, even stuff that could kill you, is because of, of your sinful activity. You're not treating the body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, and I could probably say the same, maybe to a lesser degree, about eating too much sausage or something, but that comes too close to home, so I'm going to... I'm going to hold off on that one. Uh, but basically, there are practices that you could do. I mean, if a, if a person is uh, sexually promiscuous and they get a venereal disease, there's an example where that guy, sickness is directly caused by a sinful activity. But more times than not, we get sick. You know, let me say this too. Hear me out on this. All sin, all sickness... And all physical death and sickness, it can all be traced back to sin. But we're tracing it back to Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. And we inherited a sin nature, and we're in a fallen world. So it doesn't mean you did something to bring it on yourself, okay? Um, uh, but it basically means living in a cursed creation, uh, we're going to suffer, and the difference between us, we, we suffer just like non-believers suffer, only when we suffer, we don't suffer alone. Amen. The King Jesus is, uh, uh, is with us. Uh, look at Job chapter 2. Job 2, verse 3. Boy, they, uh, health and Walter will butcher the book of Job to make Job getting just what he deserved, okay? Satan goes into heaven with the sons of God, other angelic beings. He has access to heaven. We saw that in Revelation chapter 12, the book of Zechariah, and here. Job 2, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And still he holds fast to his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Okay? And then um, Satan said, well, you let me mess with him, but um, you didn't allow me to mess with his health. Let me mess with his health here. And, um, but God, you know, if God says to somebody, hey, this guy is, there's nobody like this guy. He's blameless and, uh, he's a blameless and upright man or a blameless and un upright lady who fears God and shuns evil. That's a really good report card. Yet Job suffered probably more than anybody in this room. Okay? And um, now, Job had three friends who were into the health, wealth, and prosperity yes. message. Yes. So his three friends come by. With friends like this, who needs enemies? Okay? When you do hospital visitation, okay, which we don't do anymore because of COVID. No hospital or prison or jail visitation anymore. When you do hospital visitation, don't, don't preach from the book of Job if you're going to be quoting from one of his friends. Okay? You got to go there with mercy and love and grace. Um, these guys are basically saying, Job, we know God only punishes sinners. You must have done something wrong. Now, Job's response wasn't exactly theologically correct. He was basically saying, look, I didn't do anything to bring this on myself. 
I've been a faithful servant. I'm not perfect, but I've been a faithful servant of the Lord. I didn't bring this on myself. I want to plead my case before God. So you see what Job is saying? Job is saying, I think maybe God confused me with somebody else. Okay? And I think maybe God doesn't keep good records. So that's why God says, Job, when God shows up, hey, Job, where were you when I created the universe? Job, were you there when I created behemoth and leviathan? Whatever those things are, mankind's afraid of them. And I don't think leviathan was a crocodile. Sounds like a crocodile, but when he raises up, people look on in fear. That's the one thing that doesn't intimidate me about a crocodile is when they raise up. I'm taller than crocodiles. Even, even if I'm slouching and they raise up, I'm still taller than a crocodile. So picture something that looks like a crocodile that when he raises up, everything gets dark from his shadow. Okay? You can see I'm a young earth creationist. I think we're talking dinosaur here, all right? Um, but God's like, you, you can't control that thing. I made him. Job, where were you when I created behemoth? Some people say, some scholars say, maybe an elephant, a rhino, or a hippo, because it's described that way. But he swings his tail like a cedar tree. The, the, the um, elephants, rhinos, and hippos, they probably have the uh, wimpiest tails in the entire animal kingdom. Okay? Um, but God is like saying, Job, who, who are you to question me and my record keeping? Okay? I created the universe. I created creatures you can't control. Creatures you're afraid of. Trust me, Job. I keep good records. I'm allowing you to go through this. So this is like the problem of evil. Why would God allow an innocent, faithful servant to suffer? And guess what? God doesn't answer his question. You know what God tells him? You know enough about my goodness to not question my goodness when things get bad. You know enough about my, my goodness not to question you when you get in situations that you can't figure out. It's those areas where you just trust God. I mean, look at Abraham. God's telling Abraham and his barren wife, Sarah, I'm going to raise from you my chosen nation. And Abraham's like thinking, I don't, I don't think God could pull that off. God told Abraham, look at the stars. If you can count those stars, you'll be able to count your descendants. And I think when Abraham was looking up and trying to count the stars, I think all of a sudden it dawned on him, the one who's talking to me created those stars. And if he could create the universe, he can bring his chosen nation from my, my wife's barren womb. And then Abram believed God and God credited to him as righteousness. And um, so um, Job experienced undeserved suffering. Now what did God say to Job? Hey, look, Job, I'm the creator, you're not. You know I'm good, just trust me. I know what I'm doing, okay? Probably the only one who can make that statement and it's really true is the triune God. Um, but then he said, now, let me tell you, Job, I am really upset with your three friends. I need you to offer sacrifices for them because I'm really, really upset with them. 
And, um, and so uh, Job experienced undeserved suffering. Look at um, Psalms. Let me just explain Psalm 73. When you read through that, this guy is like... In fact, look, I'm going to just turn there so I don't butcher it with the Phil Fernandez paraphrase. Psalm 73... Three to five, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Okay? And so this guy's saying, man, look at look, look at the ungodly. The ungodly aren't suffering. How how could you allow that to happen? The wicked are prospering. Uh, verse Verses 12 through 14. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. So he's basically saying, he's saying, Lord, what's going on here? I know you're a good God, but how come the wicked prosper and the godly are in pain and suffer? It doesn't make sense to me. Look at verses 16 to 18. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. It was too painful for him to say, the wicked prosper, the godly uh, suffer. It says it was too painful for me until, until what? Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. See, what happened was he was intellectually trying to come up with a, a, a purely intellectual solution to the problem of innocent human suffering and why the wicked prosper and he couldn't and it was bothering him until he went into the house of God to worship. What did Job do in Job 1 when all these bad things started happening to his family? He put on sackcloth and ashes, he tore his clothes, he dropped down to the ground and he worshipped. So anytime you suffer, you've got a choice to make. You can either blame God and just make it worse or you can worship God and just acknowledge, Lord, this is too big for me. I can't handle it. I'm just leaving it in, uh, in your hands. For him, it was like, man, why did the wicked prosper and the godly suffer? I didn't understand that until I went into the house of the Lord to worship. And then it dawned on me. Believers need to stop judging the justice of God based on what happens in this life. You got to add to that wicked man, you got to add an eternity of torment and suffering. To the godly poor man, you got to add an eternity of joy and rewards and fellowship with Jesus. When you look at it from the eternal perspective, you know, I mean, this is, this is why Blaise Pascal said the only good thing about it, he's exaggerating, he's using hyperbole, 
the only good thing about this life is the hope of another life. Okay? And, um, um, so, uh, God will bring justice in the hereafter. You see, the Bible does teach that there will be complete healing and the redemption of our bodies, no more suffering, no more pain. There'll be prosperity, but that comes when Jesus returns. Okay? Look at Romans 8, 18. I've got other passages that are listed there um, that you can look up when you get home. But Romans... Chapter 8 and verse 18. Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We're all going to suffer to one degree or another. No matter how poor or how rich we are, we're all going to suffer. If we're believers, Jesus promises in general believers are going to suffer more than non-believers because we get persecuted for our faith okay um, but the sufferings we go through now are nothing when you compare that to the glory that's going to be revealed to us when Jesus returns so uh, we are promised health wealth and prosperity crowns complete healing redemption of our bodies our mortal bodies will put on immortality crowns, thrones will reign with Christ, prosperity, but that's not promised until Jesus returns. Right now, he promises us persecution. Right now, he promises us suffering. We will get health, wealth, and prosperity, but not now. So that with the health and wealthers, their timing is off. Health and wealth will come when Jesus returns. Look at... Uh, Acts 3. What makes a godly person godly by the grace of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what makes a godly person godly is not that they have no problems, but they continue to love and trust Jesus in the midst of their problems. Our faith gets tested. And, uh, and we still cling to Jesus. Job never gave up on God. His theology was a little, little bit warped, but he never gave up on God. Acts 3, 6-8. Now, at this point, a lame man is begging to be... He's begging for money. And uh, Acts 3, 6-8. This is not long. This is just, what, days after the Feast of Pentecost. Peter preaches a message. 3,000 people get saved. Peter and the apostles are in God's will at this point, okay? No lack of faith. No one confessed in here. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. You know, see, you, know, you know what a modern paraphrase of that is? Peter's saying, dude, we're broke. I don't have any money to give you, okay? Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. God answered Peter's prayer. 
God doesn't answer the prayer of unrighteous people. So Peter didn't have lack of faith or unconfessed sin. He prayed, God answered his prayer, yet Peter and the apostles were broke. Okay? So um, Peter and John were poor, but they were in God's will. Uh, look at all the times the apostles were beaten and all. Uh, look at Philippians 4. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4. Paul, and this is verses 10 uh, through 13. First Corinthians, uh, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. They were helping to support his ministry, the preaching of the gospel. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So they, they wanted to help at other times, but weren't able to. But he's thanking them because they did, they did share with his ministry. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. You know, he knows how to be hungry and how to have his, ba his belly filled. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that verse is probably the most commonly verse taken out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can name a Corvette in Jesus' name. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me what that Paul just gets done in its context, I can survive and thrive spiritually no matter what situation I'm in. Whether I'm hungry or filled, poor or rich, I can do everything God's called me to do through Christ because he's the one who strengthens me, not material wealth. Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 6 that um, godliness is in contentment. See, if you're in God's will, be content with the social class you are in. God's called you to be a missionary and you're poor, be content with being poor. Um, now, if God's called you to be a businessman and you're wealthy, be content with that. But then you make sure you use that wealth for the glory of God. Now, if you're out of God's will, never be content. Keep in mind, Paul's talking to the Philippians, not the Bremertonians. Okay, he's already saying, you guys are contributing to my ministry. Yeah, I mean, Paul writes a letter to them. It's not like the Corinthians where he's got all this garbage to slam them about. He just writes to them over and over again, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This is a strong church here. They're, they're being all that God called them to be. They're supporting his ministry. And because they, they're putting God's kingdom and his righteousness first, uh, Paul says, okay, well then, then God is, is going to, you need to be content. Okay? I need to be content. So if you're in God's will, be content with the social class you are in. Now, if you're out of God's will, never be content. If you're the President of the United States and God called you to pump gas in Oregon, 
then you need to resign and go pump gas in Oregon. But if you're pumping gas in Oregon and God's called you to be the president of the United States, okay, you need to change your address real quick there. And um, so, you know, if you're living a slimy, sinful life and say, well, I'm content, well, you shouldn't be. You're a spiritual and a moral slob. You shouldn't be contempt. God, God is never pleased with mediocrity. Okay? And um, so if you're out of God's will, don't be content. Get into God's will. If you're in God's will, be content with the social class that you're in. Okay? Uh, God's called me to study the word and preach to as many people as I can. And that's like this many people. But there's guys out there that are preaching to that many people. Okay? As long as it's not me being lazy, I need to be content. Okay? I've got buddies that are like a thousand times more famous than me. That's okay. That's okay. I, as long as I'm doing what God called me to do, be content. So the godliness is not in how wealthy you are. Are you content? Okay? Every, even godly believers experience sickness, fatigue, poor eyesight, cavities, obesity, poverty, and eventually death. We're part of this cursed creation. I mean, we don't try to get sick, um, but being sick is not evidence, or being poor is not evidence that you're being ungodly. Now, God promises he's going to work everything for our good, and he's going to give us good gifts, but what we think is a good gift... Uh, and what God knows is a good gift are often two different things. We think we need a beautiful church building. Okay, and look at where we're at. Okay, we be as long as we're being what God's called us to be, we need to be content. Okay, uh, just a couple other heresies, and then I'll just close with a few passages here. Um, the health and welters claim that Jesus' saving work was not complete on the cross. So even though Jesus said it is finished on the cross and even though the Lord's Supper we celebrate Jesus' broken body and shed blood they say that wasn't enough supposedly they think he had to go to hell well nobody right now is in hell there are a lot of people in Hades but Hades is going to be emptied into the eternal lake of fire just read Revelation chapter 20 the last few verses um, but they think he supposedly had to go to hell and demons were beating him up in hell and then he had to become born again in hell. It's like, guys, you're making this stuff up. Okay? And uh, no, when Jesus said it is finished, he had done everything that was needed to be done to provide salvation for us. They also say that Christians are gods with a small g. That's the lie of Satan in the garden. Satan said if you disobey God... You, will, you shall not die, but you shall become as gods. Okay, we are not gods with a small g. Isaiah 43, 10, Before me there was no God formed, nor, there will, nor will there be one after me. There's only room for one God in the universe, and that's the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true God. We do not create our own reality. And so I just want to leave us with a few passages here. I don't have them in your notes. You can write them down if you want. But uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. But I'll just quote the first two for you. But Matthew 6. 
In 2 Corinthians 5.15, we're going to be looking at Matthew 6, though, but 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul says, and he died for all, Jesus died for all, so that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. It's our goal not to get rich and be comfortable. It's our goal to what? Live for Jesus. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, whatever you're saying, whatever you're thinking, can you honestly say you're living for Jesus? Okay? So Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations, but a personal love, trust relationship with the Lord Jesus. Ask yourself, moment by moment throughout the day, am I living for Jesus or am I living for myself? 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says that whether you eat or drink, do all things. Whatever, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all things for the glory of God. Can you honestly say that what you're doing right now, what you're going to do after church, what you're doing uh, tomorrow, can you honestly say you're doing it for God's glory, to put the spotlight on God, not on yourself? And then in Matthew 6, I just have two verses to close with. Um, Matthew 6 and verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And he's talking about our needs. Okay? You put the kingdom of God first and God's righteousness first, and then God will take care of your needs. Not going to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous unless that's what his will for you is. Uh, if you are healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, praise God. Now be a giving person and don't look down on others. Okay? Um, but build God's kingdom, not your own. So are you living for Jesus? Are you doing everything for God's glory? So are you living for Jesus, not yourself? Are you doing everything for God's glory, not your own? And are you building God's kingdom, not your own? And then I'll close with this, Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the, at least the Aramaic word for um, wealth. You can't serve both God and wealth. You've got to choose which side you are. Now let me tell you, Abraham was incredibly wealthy. But his God was not wealth. His God was the God of Israel. His God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this, this whole message is not how, how, much, how healthy are you and how much money do you have. This whole message is on who is your God. And with the health, wealth, and prosperity heretics, uh, more times than not, I'm thinking their God is mammon. Their God is wealth. Uh, we got to love the Lord with everything we've got and love our neighbors ourselves. We got to live for Jesus, build His kingdom, not our own, and give God the glory. And that, and you are, you are not a God with a small G. I'm not a God with a small G. There is a God. You're not Him. You need to get with His program. You're not going to get that from Kenneth Copeland or Kenneth Hagen or Frederick Price or Benny Hinn. Okay? You're going to get it from the Word of God and true preachers of God's uh, Word. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just...